Good morning. Glad you guys are here. It's a lot better than last year, right? Um, praise God for that. Thank God for all he's brought us through, his faithfulness, and that we can, uh, even in those times, though, celebrate that Jesus is alive, Jesus is risen, and because of that, we have hope. And so, um, really excited to be with you today. Um, we're going to uh, be preaching mostly out of or and teaching out of 2 Corinthians chapter 4 today. If you have your Bible or you have a phone you want to follow along with, we're also going to read a few scriptures up front. And I really want to talk to you today about the power of our worldview, of how we see things. I want you to be able to, to maybe grasp a little bit today um, of the power of being able to see everything through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus and how that changes things for us. And so um, go first, we're gonna get to 2 Corinthians chapter four, but go first to Acts chapter 16. Now we've been going through the book of Acts as a church. Um, today, we're gonna uh, read this out of Acts, but we're gonna spend most of our time in 2 Corinthians chapter four. And uh, I want you to see in these beginning verses, um, this man by the name of Paul, the apostle Paul, one of the leaders in the early church. I want you to see some of the things he went through. I want you to see the attitude that he went through those with and the hope he had as he's going through these things. It is really remarkable. I want you to see this. The first one is in Acts chapter 16. Paul and a man by the name of Silas have been going about preaching the gospel. And because of this, they have been put in prison. And it says this, it says in Acts 16, 22, it says, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Now let's go to Philippians chapter one. In Philippians, the book of Philippians, Paul wrote this to the church in Philippi. And he, as he's writing himself, is in prison. And so Keep that in mind as we read through this passage in Philippians chapter one. Paul is in a place where he knows at any moment his life could be taken. He's in a place where he knows at any moment they could come and cut off his head, that they could come and put him to death. And this is what he says in Philippians chapter one, verse 20. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. One more in uh, 2 Corinthians, go backwards again. I know we're jumping around, but there's a point to it. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, I wanna begin reading in verse 23. I want you to understand in this passage, Paul is defending his apostleship or his leadership um, to the church in Corinth. There were people coming in and they were saying, you know, this Paul guy, you know, he's not legit. Uh, don't listen to him. These false teachers were trying to undermine 
Paul's leadership and the gospel he was teaching. Paul was not fighting to keep himself elevated to a, a position. Paul knew if they undermined his leadership, then the gospel he preached would also be undermined. And so he fought like crazy to keep this gospel that we are able to now hold in our hands, the good news of Jesus, to keep it um, intact. And so when we read this, Paul is going to sound like he's boasting and bragging. He doesn't want to. But what he's saying is, listen, these people are coming and telling you they've got all these credentials. Understand this. If you want to look at worldly credentials, I have the same and more. And so listen to verse 23 where we pick up. He says, are they servants of Christ? Meaning these other false teachers who coming in are trying to lead them astray. He says, I'm out of my mind to talk like this. He doesn't want to speak this way. He says, but if they are servants of Christ, he says, I am more. He says, I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely and been exposed to death again and again. He says, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. Don't get back on a boat, right? I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been in danger from rivers in dangers from bandits, in dangers from my fellow Jews, in dangers from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and have gone without sleep. I've, gone I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. He knows his life. He's not going to be here that much longer. What's going to happen to all the churches, all the believers? Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? He says, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. This is the same Paul who later in the book of Philippians is telling the Philippians that in the things you're facing, he says, rejoice. And he says, again, I tell you, rejoice. And these are the things he's going through. These are the things he's facing constantly. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word and its truth. Thank you, God, that today and every day we celebrate Jesus being alive. That today and every day we have the promise that because he has been raised, we too will be raised. Today, God, I thank you that your word is living and active would you awaken our hearts, our spirits, our souls to receive what your word says today? That the way we think, Lord, the way we see, the way we live would be changed because we um, see clearly through your truth. Would you allow your grace, even now, God, to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves? God, we need you. We don't even know how badly we need you. But God, we pray for more grace more of your presence. And God, that we would have ears to hear what you are saying to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. This, this possibly could be the most depressing beginning to any Easter message in history, but bear with me. Um, how many of you, 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 you've probably lived long enough, many of you to know how fast time goes, right? 
Um, some of you even see this in things as simple as the weekend. Like you're, you're like, thank God it's Friday, made it to the end of the week. And then Saturday night, you're like, wow, this thing's almost over. And then Sunday at lunch, you're like, already starting to dread like Monday. And then on Sunday night, you're like, here we go again, right? I see it when we go on vacation. Every summer we go with our family um, to vacation. We have like our extended family and people that are there. We have like 50 people that are at the beach with us, like 25 kids. It's like half adults, half kids. It is chaos, right? But it's fun. We have a good time. And about a hundred days or so out from our family vacation, um, a text starts going around amongst our family, like hundred days to the beach, 80 days to the beach. Got a calendar, you know, it's like 50 days, 30 days, 20 days, 10 days. Everybody get packed up one day, right? And then it's like, vacation gone back here. It happens that fast. And what I've noticed with me is when we get there like on Saturday and we get there and I'm like, man, we got seven days at the beach, man. This is awesome. And then it's Wednesday and I'm like, dang, man, this thing's half over. And then Thursday, I'm like, we got one day left. And then Friday, I'm like, man, we're going home tomorrow. Where'd this thing go? And then they start running the, 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 the washing machine and the dryer and all that stuff. And I'm like, stop it. This thing's not over yet. Like getting everything cleaned up, packed up. I'm like, no, we're going to milk this for all it's worth. But pretty soon it's over. And we're, we're, you know, back again, 350 more days or whatever it is, you know, till vacation. But it goes fast. It goes quickly. And, and I realized this at this point in my life that all of life is that way. Life is quick. The Bible talks about how life is just a vapor. It's like the dew on the grass. You know, you wake up and you walk outside and the dew's wet. And then, especially in the summertime, the sun comes up and, and just an hour maybe after the sun's up, the, the dew's gone. It says life is like that. And here's the challenge that I see today. Go back to 2 Corinthians chapter four. Here's the challenge for us today is that we don't live our lives seeing things through a very temporary lens. That our eyes aren't fixed on just what we can see today, but that our eyes would be fixed on what we will see one day. So listen to 2 Corinthians chapter four. Paul in chapter three has just come out of this incredible section of scripture where he's talking about how great the news of Jesus, this good news, this gospel, this new way, this new covenant that God has made with us, this new relationship we're able to enter into. And he's talked about how this ministry they have is so incredible and in being able to preach this gospel. And he says in verse one, he says, therefore, meaning what he's just talked about, since through God's mercy, we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Why would he have to say we don't lose heart? Because he's been through a bunch of stuff. He said, but because this news is so good, this is so glorious, we don't lose heart. He says, rather, rather than losing heart, we've renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, this news is so good. This message is so powerful. Jesus is so alive that we don't need to manipulate. We don't need to deceive. All we need to do is preach the gospel. 
He says that even if our gospel is veiled, if people can't see it, if they don't get it, it is veiled to those who are perishing. He's saying, listen, if people aren't accepting the message, it's not the message's fault. It's because they can't see the light of Christ. And then he tells us why. He says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Here's what I fear for us, is that we are living in a way that we only see what is temporary. Our worldview of how we see God, ourselves, others, and our, and our purpose on this earth is guided by what is temporary. It's guided by what I can touch today. It's guided by what I see today. And here's the thing, those things are so fleeting. Those things are so temporary that, that no matter how hard we try to preserve them, and we do, don't we? No matter how hard we try to preserve it's a vapor. And yet our minds so often are set on what's around us. And so we live in fear. We live in anxiety. We live in this place where we're afraid we won't have enough tomorrow. So we selfishly try to gather all we can today. And we just fight and strive and work because we're trying to preserve this life. Guess what? It's a vapor. And I believe Paul could have peace and joy and could worship and sing in prison because he saw differently. His, his, listen, here's, here's where our worldview typically lands. It's usually circumstantial. In other words, we see through a lens of what's going on around us now. It's usually temporary. We only look at the things that are gonna be here for a short time, not what's gonna last. It's insufficient. It can't do what we need it to do. There's the anxiety, the fear, the greed, the selfishness, the scarcity mindset that says, I gotta get all I can get because there's not enough to go around. And so we live with this temporary worldview, this circumstantial worldview that everything in my life depends on what I see right now. But Paul saw it differently. Paul saw it completely different. It's why he could have peace in prison. It's why he could sing in prison, why he could rejoice why he could encourage us to rejoice when he's hungry and naked, when he's thirsty, when he's shipwrecked, when he's on an island. He even in one of the shipwrecks, you go read in the book of Acts, he's on the island. They go to build a fire. Not only has he just been shipwrecked, had to swim to shore to, to live, he gets there, they begin to build a fire. He goes to throw a limb on the fire and a snake bites his hand. Can the guy catch a break, right? And they're all thinking he's gonna die and then nothing happens. And so they start thinking he's a God. And he's no, no, I'm not a God, but I can tell you who God is. And so Paul saw so differently. Paul saw so differently. For us, there's different lenses that we have. I want you to understand the way we see life and the things we fix our eyes on are oftentimes, most of the time, really determined by the experiences we have with people, with events, things like that shape how we see everything. And Paul says that the God of this age has blinded the minds. He's blinded the eyes. There's a veil that covers their eyes so they cannot see the light of Christ. 
And it's kind of like this. I brought some different glasses. These are my youngest son's glasses. They're real scratched up. So that when you put them on, I kind of feel like the Terminator with these on. Look good? And so when I put these on, literally they are so scratched up that things are blurry. That everything is marred. I don't see it the way it was intended to be. And Paul says the God of this age, Satan, the enemy, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of Christ. They can't recognize it. All they can do is see through this marred lens. They can only think the way the world thinks. They can't recognize Jesus. And so they see with blinded eyes and until they hear the gospel and the spirit opens their eyes to see the gospel, they're forced to look through these lenses and until the veil is removed, they cannot see. And so some people see through a marred lens. They're only gonna see the things of the world. They're only gonna fight for the things that are circumstantial. They're only gonna fight and strive for the things that are temporary. They're only gonna fight for things that are insufficient. They're only gonna fight for things that are here and gone, like the dew. Then there's another set of lenses. And these lenses, listen, are a lot of what we see through as believers. So got these sunglasses. See, these lenses are tainted. These lenses are tinted. So everything I see is shaded still. Even though I'm a believer and my heart's been given to Christ, the Bible tells us that the enemy is still able to set up strongholds in our mind to create inaccurate ways of thinking. And so for all of us in this room today, our worldview to some degree, the way we see God, ourselves, others, our purpose, our worldview to some degree is skewed because there are inaccurate ways of thinking, ways we see things, way we understand who we are, who God is, why we exist on this earth. We see things that are skewed or shaded or tinted and aren't 100% accurate. But then there's this third lens. There's this third lens. These are my reading glasses. You see, these lenses are corrective. When I look through these lenses, I can see more accurately. In fact, it helps me to read. It helps me to see. And it helps me to understand God's truth. And when I look through the lens of God's word, I'm able to see clearly who God is in Christ. I'm able to see more clearly who I am in Christ. I'm able to see more clearly who you are and how I should relate to you in Christ. I'm able to see more clearly my purpose for being here on this earth. I don't have to wonder now, why am I here? Because I can see clearly through the lens of God's word why I exist. And my worldview, how I see is corrected. It begins to be changed. And I believe Paul saw differently because his, 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 his thinking wasn't perfect. None of ours will be on this side of heaven, but let me tell you this, it had been really, really, really corrected. And so Paul saw very differently, but why? What corrected this for Paul? The first thing I want you to see is in verse six, Paul said this, he says, God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, 
made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. This is not just something that Paul has experienced or or thinks theoretically. This is something that is part of Paul's testimony. This is a part of his real experience. In fact, for Paul, it was something that when he um, was persecuting the church early on, he was against Christ, he was against the church, and he's going to this town called Damascus, and he's on the road to Damascus going to persecute Christians, to tear down the church, to tear down the believers. And he's on the way and he literally, physically, tangibly comes face to face with Christ in his glory. But that wasn't all. In that moment, the light of Christ shined in his heart. What he's telling us here is not something that he says, hey, this can happen to you. He's saying, this is what happened to me. And this is also true. Now you may not be going to Walmart and all of a sudden the glory of Jesus appears and you look face to face with Christ in that way today, but you will one day. And you may not have that experience, but for every believer, every person who's put their faith in Jesus, the light of God, the light of Christ has shined into their heart. So that we now have, he says, the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Jesus. You may not have seen it with physical eyes, but you have seen it him with the eyes of faith. And Paul says, this is one of the reasons we can keep going because we see clearly now the God of this age had blinded our eyes, but now we see clearly. If you go over into 2 Corinthians 5, 16, he says this, he tells us, he says, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Paul's saying, I used to think Christ was just a rebel. I used to think he was just a radical. I used to think he was a heretic. I used to think he was leading people astray, but guess what? I don't see him that way anymore. And because I don't see him that way anymore, I don't see anything that way anymore. Why? Because the light of Jesus has shone in my heart. Listen to verse seven. He says, but we, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all surpassing power is from God and not from us. Anytime you're reading scripture and you come to a word like therefore, you come to a word like but, you come to a word like for some, or because, something like that, it should alert you. Like he's referring to something he's already said. And so here he tells us like, you have received this all surpassing, this incredible knowledge of Christ. The light of God has shone in your heart. He says, but, but understand that we have this treasure in jars of clay. He says to show this all surpassing power is from God and not from us. He says, this incredible knowledge, this incredible relationship, this incredible message, it's not put into some gold vessel, something that's just worth tons and tons on its own. He says, it's put into clay jars. Corinth, to whom this letter was written, was known for producing cheap clay jars. And so I've got this cheap clay pot but it says $2.49 on the inside. 
It makes me think about what Paul was talking about. He's saying, look, you know those cheap clay jars? Guess what? That's us compared to God. And he says, but you know what? God has put this incredible treasure inside of you. You know what? These jars, it said, as I studied this, it said that they were easily broken. And so I got this broken one. And here's the thing. It seems pretty worthless. In fact, if I were like to offer you this and be like, hey, you want a broken clay jar? It's $2.50. Or you can just go get you another one. Would you really want it? No. And so you really wouldn't want it. But now if I put $100 in it, you'll take it now? I'm not going to let you have it now. You should have took it to start with. And so think about that. It changes it. So here's the thing. Paul is saying, look, we are like these broken clay jars, but God has put so much value in us. He has poured in the riches of his grace and his love and his mercy so that our value is no longer the value of these broken clay jars. It's the value of Christ. So I no longer see me the way the world sees me. I no longer see you the way the world sees you because I see Christ in me. I see Christ in you. We are no longer, that's why in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Paul can say this. He can say, look, if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. The life of Jesus is now in you. The value of Christ is now in you. And he's saying this abiding presence of Jesus It's why I keep going. I don't lose heart because he is with me. I don't lose heart because he's faithful to his promises that he would never leave us nor forsake us, that he would abide with us forever, that he would send another and he sent his spirit. And Paul's saying this presence of God in my life, it won't let me quit. And he goes on and shows us what this this power looks like. In verse eight, he says, we are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down and not destroyed. He's saying, listen, our circumstances are still really bad. He's saying, but you gotta understand this. We're being pressed on, but what's inside of us is so much greater than what's pressing from the outside that it can press and press and press, but we will not be crushed. We can be persecuted and they can come after us. They can try to say whatever they want to say to stop us. But guess what? We will not be destroyed. We won't give up. We won't quit. We're not going to lose heart. Why? Because the light of Jesus has shined in our heart. And not only that, but when he shined in our heart, he filled us with his spirit. And so we're not going to quit. And he goes on, that's not even it, like that would be enough. He says, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Think about this. We carry around the death of Jesus so the life of Jesus can be revealed. When Jesus went to the cross, it looked like weakness. And For a moment, for a brief moment, for a brief amount of time, it looked like the enemy had won. But three days later, what looked like weakness came out in strength, which is incredible. So what does that tell us? It tells us we may be in a season or we may be in a time that looks like weakness for us, but if we'll just remember 
who he is and who's inside of us and we'll keep pressing in and falling on his mercy and depending on his grace, even though we look like we're in a time of weakness, we come out in the strength of Christ, not our own. He goes on. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal bodies. He's saying, listen, we're getting pummeled. We're getting beaten. We're taking some shots. But he says all it does when they push down our flesh, the spirit just comes up. And he's saying so that life is actually springing up from what we're enduring. And he goes on and he says, so then, Death is at work in us. Our flesh is being pummeled. Our flesh is being torn down. He says, but life is at work in you. He says, we endure what we endure so that life can be at work in you. Verse 13, we're almost there. It says, it is written, it is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken since we have that same spirit of faith. We also believe and therefore speak. He says, listen to this. This is where we really come to this place where he's laying out this, this argument for why they don't lose hope. And he comes to this place where we're about to go, boom, right? So out, he, no, 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 wrong place. We also believe and therefore speak because, I told you to look for those words, right? Why does he believe? Why does he speak? Why does he endure? Why doesn't he lose heart? He says, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. He's saying they're gonna push us down. They can come cut off my head. They can come stone me to death. They can, they can put me in, in the stocks. They can put me in prison. They can do whatever they wanna do. They can suppress this flesh. They can kill me. But the truth of the matter is that one day Jesus, because he is raised, will raise me too. He says, so I don't lose hope. And listen, he goes on. Therefore, we do not lose hope. What's he referring to? The fact that he knows that you and I know that the one who raised Jesus from the dead will raise us also with Jesus. He goes back and says again, we do not lose hope. He says, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. He said, look, I, I realize, can you imagine Paul's beaten? Can you imagine Paul's beaten body? I mean, he had been flogged, what did he say, three times? Stoned once? Can you imagine when he took his shirt off what it looked like? Can you imagine what his entire countenance, as far as the, even the way his face looked? You get pelted with stones, it tends to change things. Can you imagine? And yet he looks at this flesh that's taken such a beating and he says, this flesh, listen, it, it's dwindling, it's wasting away. Yet the life that is on the inside of me because of Jesus is being renewed day by day. 
the lower this life gets, the higher my spirit gets. The lower this life gets, the higher my praise goes. The lower this life gets and the more they try to take away, the more I realize how much treasure I have in this jar of clay. Now think about what we've read about Paul and just a, a little bit of his life. He makes this statement, our light and momentary troubles, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Now, just from the passages we've read, does anything about his troubles seem light? Does anything about his troubles seem momentary? seem temporary? No. In fact, they're hard. They're heavy. They're not light. They're constant. They're not temporary. But remember, Paul's not looking at this through the world's lens. Paul's looking at this through a resurrected lens. Paul's not looking at what he can see today. Paul's looking at what he will see one day. And so he tells us this, he says, in comparison to what I will one day see, in comparison to what I will one day be, in comparison to who I will one day be with in a perfect place, he says, these awful, heavy, burdensome, constant things that I am going through are like a light and momentary trouble. In other words, if I were to put it in my words, this is what I would say, this is how I would say it. What we will receive through these troubles is so out of proportion. So out of proportion. When I was about nine or 10 years old, I used to cut our neighbor's grass. And it would take me maybe an hour and a half, maybe an hour, hour and a half to cut his grass. And he would pay me like 40 bucks. This is in 1985, okay? The days of parachute pants and all that kind of stuff. 1985. And he would pay me like 40 bucks for an hour and a half. And I was like, you know what? For $40 to 10 year old in 1985, you dang right I'll cut grass for an hour and a half, right? I can endure the South Georgia heat for an hour and a half for $40 because you know how many Mountain Dews I could buy with $40 back then? Do you know how many little Ninja Kung Fu games I could play at the country store with $40 back then? I mean, I was set for a while. And I look at this and I'm like, you know what? I traded that hour and a half for $40. But if we were to bring this analogy to what Paul is saying, it'd be more like an hour and a half for a million dollars and probably beyond that even that we can't fathom it. He's saying it's so out of proportion, this light momentary stuff that we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, the beatings, the shipwrecks, the, all of those things, the danger, constant stress of those things. He's saying this light and momentary stuff is so disproportionate to the amount of glory that we'll see in Christ. The last verse, so we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. What's he saying? Look, we fix our eyes, we look through this lens. 
because we know what Jesus has done. He's shined his light in our heart. We know what he's doing. His presence is abiding in us. We have this treasure in jars of clay and we know his promise that because I live, you will live also. So Paul is looking, he's fixing his eyes. He's seeing not what is visible today, but what he will see one day. And he lived his life through that lens. He didn't lose sight of that lens. And listen, this doesn't mean it was easy. Paul, other places, he talks about how he was in such anguish. He despaired of life. It doesn't mean it's easy, but you know what you do when you get in those places where you wonder if I can take another step, you come back and you reset and you recorrect and you have to take your eyes off of this thing and you put it on this thing and you say, thank God that this light and momentary trouble is achieving for me an eternal weight of glory like I've never seen. It's a reset. Doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean it's pain-free, but it means it's true and it means it gives strength and it means it stirs our affection for God and it means it stirs the spirit of God in us. See, Paul didn't look through a circumstantial lens. He didn't look through a temporary lens and it certainly wasn't an insufficient lens. Paul could endure and he could rejoice in the middle of it because he saw things differently. Paul saw through a different lens because listen, he had placed his trust in what Jesus had done, was doing and would do. And listen to me, the amount of strength we possess will be determined by where our trust is placed. Am I going to trust in what is temporary, circumstantial and insufficient or am I gonna trust in what God has revealed and the power of his life in me? Am I gonna see through the world and the lens and the information around me? Am I gonna buy into the lies that are all around me or am I going to look through the lens of his truth and trust in it? Paul goes on in chapter five and he, I'm not gonna go into that. Don't, we're not gonna preach through the whole book of Second Corinthians, I promise. But he goes on and he says, for we know that if the earthly tent, he says tent, we live in is destroyed. We have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. When he means the tent, he means our body. When he says that, he means our body. He said, when this tent is destroyed, God's prepared another one for us. He's gonna resurrect this. Paul says, listen, it's inevitable. This tent is gonna dwindle. This, this dwelling is not gonna last. If I were to put this in my language today, when he's speaking about this tin, I think I would say it's something like, you can nip it, tuck it, lift it, and stuff it, but it's going to sag eventually, right? <laughs> it's not only gonna sag, it's going to die. And it's going to decay. But because Jesus was raised, those of us in Christ will be raised too. If Jesus were not raised, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15, he says our faith is futile, but here's the truth, Jesus lives. If Jesus was not raised, we're still dead in our sins, but Jesus lives. If Jesus were not raised, the word of God is empty of power and cannot correct our vision, but Jesus lives. By faith, I'm in Christ. And many of you, by faith, are in Christ. By faith, not only am I in him, but he is in me. And because he lives, his life is in me. 
Because he lives, I have become a new creation. Because he lives, we have a new life. Because he lives, we can think and see and live differently. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. I don't have to fear it. I can have peace that is greater than the world around me and its circumstances. I can be bold. I don't have to be timid. I can live free from addiction. I don't have to be bound. I can live in the truth. I don't have to be swayed by lies. I can run in God's purposes and not grow weary. We can fulfill his purposes on earth because he lives. Listen, I know this, that we can fulfill his purpose for the church on this earth. 